Hello and welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles, or Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. You're listening to the abridged version of this episode. If you'd like to hear the extended, uncut edition, you can, for as little as $1 a month, by pledging to support the podcast and the Cosmic Shambles Network. You'll get access to extended episodes of Book Shambles each week, as well as all sorts of other goodies like free tickets to our events, and so on, and so on, and etc. Go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. It's a forward slash, but you know that again. Hello, this is Shambles producer Trent, and this is Book Shambles. Thank you for tuning in again this... Uh, tuning in, that's what I've said. Uh, downloading or streaming would be more appropriate. Uh, that's a reflection of my age. Uh, thank you for listening. That that covers everything. Uh, to Book Shambles this week, Robin uh, is joined by Cariad Lloyd, host of Griefcast, a bit of a podcast crossover. You might have heard Robin on uh, Griefcast quite recently. Now, Cariad uh, is in our studio for Book Shambles. Josie has headed up to the Edinburgh Fringe a little bit early, so Beck Hill uh, sitting in the guest co-host chair this week. Eventually, uh, she's not here at the start of the episode. We'll explain that when it gets going. Before we start, a reminder about some of the live events we've got coming up. Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People is back in December. As always, four evening shows in London, plus a Sunday family matinee, uh, and then two shows at the Lowry in Salford slash Manchester as well. Robin hosting all of those nights. Uh, there'll be Josie Long and Beck Hill and Andrea Seller and Lucy Green and Jim Alka-Leary and Susie Maidman and Ginny Smith and lots of others. So get tickets for that. As always, uh, proceeds from those shows go to charity and there'll be a Trussell Trust collection at the gigs. In case you missed it, we announced our next big, massive Royal Albert Hall show uh, very recently, May 17, 2020. It's called Sea Shambles. It is a huge celebration of the ocean and the planet. Uh... And it is going to be our biggest show ever. Uh, Bigger than Nine Lessons and Space Shambles and Compendium, all that sort of stuff. We've got lots of madness planned, lots of secret guests. Uh, It's going to be hosted by Robin and Helen Chersky and Steve Backshall. So go to the Albert Hall or the Cosmic Shambles website for tickets for that. We're back at the Royal Institution as well on August 27. Dean Burnett, host of Brain Yapping and writer of Brain Yapping on Cosmic Shambles. Uh, His new book is out uh, the same day, I think. Uh, And this is the London launch of his book. So come along to that. He's going to be talking about uh, neuroscience of teenagers and dealing with parents and all that sort of stuff Uh, why your parent? Why your parents are driving you up the wall? That is the name of his new book. So look that up and go to the Royal Institution website for tickets for that. Robin is on tour in November with Chaos of Delight, presented by us at Cosmic Shambles Network, going to Edinburgh and Glasgow and Southampton and Otley and Penzance and lots of other places. Go to Robin's website for details about that. And finally, thank you, as always, to our brilliant Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash bookshambles, if you would like to join them. It's as little as $1 a month. Lots of goodies. You can get uh, merch. You can get free tickets to shows. You get extended episodes of Book Shambles each week. You can find out which bits got cut out for the general release. 
Uh, or if you want to help us out uh, in another way, just go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review for us. It takes you about 10 seconds and it really helps us out. Or share uh, the show on whatever social media you use. Hashtag Bookshambles is a good way to do that with, with links if you want. Or just tweet hashtag Bookshambles. That's fine by us as well. Uh, so now that's enough of that. Here is this week's episode. This is Robin and Cariad and eventually Beck. Anyway, this is a secret podcast. Yeah. That's that we'll the never end of the secret released. podcast. And now if you, uh, if you scratch on the uh, wax discs that you will receive, then you'll be able to see underneath is the secret uh, podcast. Um, Say it backwards. Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles, though in fact today it is Beck and Robin's Book Shambles, except now it's actually Robin's Book Shambles because <laughs> we're recording this on the day where all of you have been saying, it's very hot, and they say it's going to get hotter and all of those things. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Beck was uh, taken slightly ill, so uh, Beck Hill's not with us today, but we're hoping she gets well soon. In fact, she might even get well within this podcast, yeah. we don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Beck, uh, just to remind you, she's going to be... Uh, up at the Edinburgh Festival. If she doesn't get a chance to plug herself, uh, then I will. I'll be back is uh, Pleasance 10 uh, during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. But we are joined by uh, a guest, nevertheless, who is uh, Carrie Lloyd, who Hello. is, if you, as a wonderful world... Well, basically, we're going to be talking Jane Austen and, and mortality, aren't we? If, if, we, if we follow within the Venn diagram <laughs> well, of your most famous... Uh, yeah. For those of you who don't know, Carrie does a, a, a multiple award-winning podcast, which is, is absolutely fantastic, called Griefcast, as well as doing... Uh, uh, Jane Austen improvisation. Yes, ostentatious. Ostentatious. Yes. Yeah. The um, so I will. I want to start off if it's okay, just briefly yeah. talking about grief cast. Yes, yeah, sure. It's, yeah. it's done done to run to and thinking about books, thinking about mm. what you have. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in terms of you've done a lot of interviews now for Griefcast. It's yes. been running for nearly two years now. Two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. Two and a half years. And are there certain things have that have books come up have when people because of course the, the grief you're dealing with is is a lot of different kinds of grief sometimes it's it's children who've, who've mm. you know that people who when they were children they, they lost a parent sometimes it's you know just kind of the normal thing of, of death within the rhythm of of existence and michael leg came on and talked about the loss of his dog jerk which yeah. he, you know he really was uh, i've known michael for a very long time jerk was a very very important part of his life are there are there certain things that that seem to repeat themselves in terms of works that have helped people cope uh yeah there's definitely like i'm definitely building a bit of a grief library <laughs> so i get sent a lot of books about death and at one point my bedside table was the most depressing thing you could have seen so it was like learning to die coping with death after he's gone the day that went missing things will never change <laughs> and i one day i looked at it i thought I need to mix this up, don't I? I need to have like something lighter in there. Um, the one that we talk about on the show loads is Julia Samuel Griefworks. Mm -hmm. um, she's a grief psychotherapist who started the charity Child Bereavement UK. And her book is, I just, I always recommend it. We always talk about it because it's just very clear. And I think sometimes because everyone's grief is so different, um, it can be very helpful to have something that's just super clear. So like her introduction and her conclusion are the clearest things I read on what grief literally is, like what happens to your brain, what happens inside your body. And then inside the book is case studies of loss of a parent, loss of a child, loss of a sibling, I think, and loss of a partner. So 
all different stories, but I really recommend her book. And the other one I've just read is Catherine Mannix with The End in Mind. Have you heard of that? Yes, I met her a while ago oh, at Durham Book Festival. It's so I've good. I've still not read it. And uh, but in the brief conversation I had with her, I thought, I've got to read this. It sounds Yeah, and I know it, it sat on my pile for a bit because I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but I, I interviewed her for Griefcast and... Um, it's so brilliant. So she's a former palliative care consultant and it's all different stories of how people died. So I would say Julia's is very much after the event and Catherine's is very much before the event. But it talks about literally what physically happens. So if you are worried about death, I would read it because it really goes through what happens to your body and the very natural process and answers a lot of questions that I think a lot of us have of like, oh God, is that really painful? Is that this? And it's very like, no, this is just what happens. Um, obviously it depends on the circumstance. And it talks about lots of different people's acceptance of death um, from, you know, from like young women to old men to like, it, it's all sorts of different people she's encountered and, and how they dealt with it and really helps you understand what palliative care does. Um, there's a great story about a woman who was really, really ill. She was like in her late thirties and she had a child and she suddenly got up and started dancing and wouldn't stop dancing and had been to the shops and I mean she was like at death's door and the family didn't know what to do because they could see that it was like this restless energy that wasn't helpful. But she was like, I'm cured. I'm going to the shops and then the palliative care team came and it's this oh it's this thing called restless something or other. I mean Catherine will know the medical term. And they basically helped her come to terms with the fact that actually what was happening was her body was sort of going into a panic, was causing all this adrenaline, and she needed to have this drug that was going to get her to calm down. But that drug was obviously going to... It doesn't help the process of death, but it, it helps your body relax, which obviously your body is trying to die. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just so interesting because they just spoke to her and explained to her what was happening. And then she was like, oh, I see, yeah, I'd like that drug, please. I didn't know what was happening. Like, I thought I was cured. And they were like, no, you're not cured. It's just... It's going to take longer if we don't give you the right pain relief. So I find it really interesting because I think sometimes we can think palliative care is like, oh, they give them the drugs and then they die. Whereas actually what Catherine really beautifully explained is it's so much about helping that, helping that body do what it's trying to do anyway. So I definitely recommend those two. Yes, that sounds really... I mean, I was... I was doing an event in, uh, I think it was the, the, the Skeptics in the Pub in Nottingham. And afterwards, I, I think I was, I've been talking about my book and it was, I'd, got, I'd talked a little bit about the, ch the chapter about death. And mm. um, and he was, he's an academic who deals with how different cultures uh, talk about death and oh, deal wow. with death. Yeah. And he felt that, especially in, in, in Britain, this is a place where the fact that, life and death are totally separate that the moment someone's died you leave the room and the undertaker's come mm. and everyone's wrapped up and they're taken away and then they're in a box and he he felt that this detachment from that that's it that person the process dead, yeah uh was very problematic yeah i agree <laughs> and, and very problematic with the grieving process yeah, as well i think so and it's interesting because i've had a lot of irish comedians on the show and they can't believe how disconnected we are so like most of them have seen a dead body by the time they're like five one of them was saying a friend of hers first memory is being held over a coffin as a baby to kiss the corpse <laughs> because you know they have the the body in the house um oh, they have a word for it i've completely forgotten the word for it it's, i mean the wake is obviously sometimes done around the dead body so i feel that irish comedian when i speak to irish comedians in their culture it's very accepting of death 
dead bodies are not scary. That's part of a thing. You sit down and Gronny Maguire had this great line on one episode where she said, I'd be insulted if my friends didn't drink around my dead body. Like, that's so rude. <laughs> like, how shady to leave me out of the party. It's my party. And I think we really don't. Obviously, I think if you in a slight more British English uptight point of view. Yeah, we have a very much like... So few people die at home these days and it's very medicalised and so few people have seen dead bodies. But Julia Samuels talked about this, that is a real leap of generations in that the war generation obviously didn't have that. And then after that, post that, you really do get people living a lot longer, a lot of medicalisation, death, death being unusual as opposed to what obviously that war generation had gone through where everybody was grieving. So I think it's quite a disconnect from... Two generations, which I think is interesting. It wasn't gradual. It was like suddenly we had all this unbelievable grief and everyone was like, keep calm, carry on, stiff upper lip. This is so awful. We just have to get on with it. And then you get this like, oh, it happens far away when we don't want to talk about it. So I think I think we are getting better. I genuinely do think we are getting better. But um, I just think we don't talk about it enough in life and so it's not until you get to the hospital and you're asked to leave the room and you don't see the body that you are confronted with any of those thoughts mm. about what it is and then I think you don't have a choice of going oh actually I'd, I'm I'm happy to see the body I'm happy to stay in the room you're just like oh god dead body run away because <laughs> no one's ever talked I about did, it I found that I was quite yeah. uh when my mum died and then uh um and fortunately she did die at home so everyone was around her and then then that night I was like, oh, I can't stay in the next door bedroom. I found it too yeah, weird, yeah. and I and I and I know it was. And and my dreams were. I mean, this is terrible because this shows how fatuous I am as an individual. <laughs> but my and also my terrible the the movies I should never have watched as a young <laughs> yeah, person. Yeah, that's which the was, trouble. You know, blinking Walking Dead's in my head and all manner yeah. of stuff. I'm going it's ridiculous, and and the 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 rational me. You know, it's just said you can just sleep in the in the next door room where you normally sleep, and and your your mum's body is is, is in in that room next door. But yeah. it was like. That's too close, I'm going to have to sleep downstairs on the sofa. <laughs> I think that's fine, like, whatever you need to do. But again, if we had been bought around open coffins... Yeah, I coffins, shouldn't have had... I shouldn't have had... I, I knew what, you know, I'd been yeah. there and it was... And that's... Uh, so in terms of the actual body, there was no fear, but the idea that then I was going, oh, I don't know why, something yeah. in my imagination... Oh, it seems won't... creepy. It seems creepy. You know, we've watched enough films and read enough books to know, like, don't don't go downstairs to the cellar, don't sleep next to a dead body. Like, you've been taught those things. But again, if we'd been brought up in a culture where dead bodies were not shocking you know I find I meet people who've never seen a dead body mm. you know whereas I said the, the Irish comedians were like what how how have you avoided it so I think it's totally understandable that you felt that way it's felt so common but I think it's it's just fear of the unknown isn't it it's just fear of what we don't understand which is what all horror films are based on Hello, we interrupt your current podcast listening to give you an exciting announcement about the 17th of May 2020, where we will be doing another show at the Royal Albert Hall. Some of you might remember we did a show, Space Shambles, with uh, Rusty Schweikart from Apollo 9 and Chris Hadfield and Public Service Broadcasting and Stuart Lee and Helen Chersky and various others and Lucy Green as well. And this time, as opposed to going into space, we're going to go deep into the ocean for a sea shambles. We have many guests confirmed, but most of them we're not going to announce yet. So for the time being, I can merely tell you that I will be be there, Steve Baxter will be there and Helen Chersky will be there uh, now go to our website cosmicshambles.com where every now and again we will tell you more exciting news about Sea Shambles. We now return you to your programme We won't only talk about death at the, uh, <laughs> so, well, actually if I ask one more question which is, when you did lose your father when you were 15, was there 
any particular in terms of 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 your intake of culture in terms mm. of whether it was music whether it was books films television was was there anything you found that having f- that that drove you into into certain you know the the what you anything that was something that felt needed and something that became useful well i was a bit of a goth anyway <laughs> but i definitely started heavily relating to like I used to watch, oh, guys, obviously it's difficult because it's so wrapped up in teenage angst mm. as well. So I was already angsty and then your dad dies and you become very angsty. But I definitely related to like anybody with like black, a, a girl with black hair who was very sarcastic. It's like Darlene from Roseanne. Like I was like, that was my goal. And my so-called life, do you remember my so-called yeah, life? Yeah, yeah. It was so depressing and so bleak. And I was like, that's how I feel. Um, what else did I... I can't think of anything. Weirdly, I got massively into Bob Dylan, but I think that's because my dad liked him. So I think right. I was slightly yeah. hiding. I don't actually think Bob Dylan is that useful <laughs> for, for grieving, particularly. Um, and then I guess the only other thing, yeah, music was a big thing. My dad was really, really into music, so I don't. I definitely didn't read anything that was that that helpful at the time. Um, Although, you know, you could argue I probably wasn't in a particularly good place mm. to to be open to anything. If characters died in books, I found it really hard. I'd often stop reading them. Right. I remember reading, like, some fantasy novel and, like, you know, 100 pages in, like, the badger that was showing them around the woods died and I, like, threw it across the room and was like, no! <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't think that was going to happen. Yeah, I got very into David Bowie. And then, again, my dad was into David Bowie. And I slightly, me and Adam Buxton talked about this on his episode of, like, I don't remember when it happened. But David Bowie became my dad in my head. Right. And then, like, state of the album, Station to Station, I got that at university. And that really, something about the sadness in it, but not completely bleak. I don't know. I just really connected with it. So, yeah, when he died, it was like, <gasps> yeah, I was talking to Adam Buxton a lot about that. But he had the same thing of, like, I think David died, like, a couple of months after his dad. And it was just all a bit... That's right. All I remember linked. doing a karaoke circus. We did one at Bethel oh, Green working wow, as well. Yeah. And, and uh, I did a... Because, uh, in fact, his dad must have died very similar time to when my mum died. It was Because right. uh, yeah. when we saw it, it was, it was January or February, whenever we saw each other. And, and he went on... Michael Legg and I did a, uh, a reasonably cack-handed uh, version of Man Who Sold the World. Oh. As everyone found out uh, with, with Bowie, he's very, very clever at the fact that he has interesting little changes in notes that you don't notice until yes. you try and sing them at yes. a karaoke yeah, thing. Yeah. So I think, in fact, we were one of the least worst renditions. <laughs> but what, what uh, Adam might have mentioned it, what he did, rather, he, he wore his dad's hat and Aww. sang kooks, if you Aww. stay in the lover's story, you know, which was lovely. Yeah. Um, the uh, so in terms of your other interests, uh, yes. reading interests, I was trying to think of my favourite kind of gothy thing because yeah, I was I was never a goth, but I think my tastes were were gothy. But yeah, I wasn't I, necessarily. I, I never looked, had the garb. I looked very gothy, but then I was often listening to Joni Mitchell, so I was a bit of a disappointment. I to some goth. I don't know. I think that what were you you were meant to be listening to what to anything Alien, Sex Fiend, and Beyond? Or yes, uh, I never went for the hardcore loud music. I went for the soft goth. Like folk off. <laughs> Do you remember a band called Delicatessen? Oh no, I don't. Oh, I think no. you might have liked them. The um, I was actually when you were mentioning Bowie, that that's in it. That, that year was uh, the 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 year that he died. That that was a very interesting year for yeah. music about death because you had um, Black Star. Yes. You had Leonard Cohen's album, which is uh, um, fantastic, and Nick Cave Skeleton yeah, Tree, yeah. which is I, I know a lot of people, even though. You have to make it clear, but it was an album that was halfway through completion uh, or, or halfway done when when his son Arthur died. But there's 
it's it's fascinating that how the the what it carries with it is a lot of people can't listen to that album. Yeah, you, I actually, you put it on and people go, yeah. can you turn it off? Actually, it's it, it's uh, and, and certainly seeing him perform it live. In fact, I think he did the whole album on the wow. on the arena tour that he did, broken up obviously with other songs. It it was fascinating to see how it affected people at different points. Yeah, yeah. I actually haven't listen to that one I love Nick Cave but yeah I've been a bit even I get a bit like oh god <laughs> can I face this now um, but Blackstar I really listened because I think because it dropped before he died so I know funny enough I was sitting in the me and my husband were both sitting there working and I don't listen to words at first I only listen to melody and he only listens to words and he was like I think this album is all about death and I was like is it it's a great tune I'm just really enjoying this tune and then the next day David Barry died and I was like oh it was about yeah, death yeah it was like midnight Thursday it came out and yeah. then the announcement was Monday morning yeah and we yeah. were working listening to it and Ben was like god this really feels like it's all about death I never, I only hear tunes to, for about four years of listening to something and then I'm like I'm often singing something and he's like you know that's about heroin and prostitution I'm like is it it's just like yeah, that little tune who was it the, the band The Hidden Cameras who very jaunty uh, Canadian band and and there's, you listen to the songs, then you go, oh, it's about a man who goes cottaging on the way to his wedding yeah. to uh, a woman. Oh, right, right. Oh, oh, but you're I, like, yeah, yeah. Do, do, yeah, do, this do, is do. the jauntiest yeah. cottaging song <laughs> I've ever heard. Great, actually, I must revisit. I haven't listened to them for a long time. The um, so you're um, because being involved in in uh, ostentatious as well, does that come? Is is the birth of that from from a love of that <laughs> literature or a love of was it, was it the TV adaptation you thought oh there's fun to be had here? So originally the idea, so we do we do an improvised Jane Austen story. We're in full Regency gear with a violinist or cellist or a pianist that uh, improvises with us, uh, just so you know. And we get a title from the audience and then we make up a Jane Austen play. That's what ostentatious is. Um, so the original idea was. Rachel Paris and Amy Cook Hodgson and they loved Jane Austen they absolutely loved it and they were like oh it'd be really fun to improvise that and they asked their friends uh, from the Oxford Imps which was their improv group at uni jo Joseph Morpurgo and Andrew Hunter Murray uh, from No Such Thing as Fish who uh, had studied Austen at Oxford so were very much experts and and then they bought um, they asked me and Graham Dixon and then since then we've added Charlotte Kittens and Daniel Roberts so we all I I had read her I wasn't a massive fan now the problem is most so a lot of the gang, the boys actually went to went to Oxford and did English at Oxford, but I did English at Sussex. And when we talk about the experience, so they read the Austin Canon, they read, you know, all her juvenalia that you taught. Sussex does not work like that. I don't even know about it. Like it's like used to be a radical uni. So we read Mansfield Park and we had to write essays on the one sentence where she sort of mentioned slavery, like one sentence. So I hadn't I didn't have a love of her work <laughs> because Sussex is like the home of like Marxism and post-culturalism mm. post and all of you know, post-structuralism, post-colonialism, all the other things I've forgotten, which I'm sure... It's post a lot of it's things. It's post a lot of things. Alan Sinfield will be very upset with me. Um, queer theory was invented there. Yeah, so I hadn't really like read the books with any joy. I'd read them, deconstructing them to look at them from a post-colonial point of view. Um, but I'd love the TV adaptations. Yeah, for me, P&P, &P, 1995, Jennifer Ely, Colin Firth, you cannot better that. Like, that is just... Do you know why that's so good? Shall I tell you? The reason I think that one is so successful is Jennifer Ely and Colin Firth were falling in love during the filming of that adaptation. Uh. So that particular Darcy Lizzie is very steamy and very the chemistry is rife because they were literally getting together on that shoot. Whereas 
the um, Kira Knightley version I like, but the chemistry, like often the other ones, the chemistry is like not, it's like, it's fine. But you don't feel like Darcy's really fucking loved her. Um, so that's why I think the PMP TV adaptation still, like people still love it so much. Because <laughs> you're watching two people literally fall in love. But I, I do like Jane Austen. I am obviously now after eight years of doing that show. I am a fan. Yeah, see, because I, I, I think I never really got it. It's, again, it's about when you read it or whether you read it yeah, under yeah. A duress as well, that you have an essay to complete, whatever, because yes. I was always more of a fan of the Brontes. Uh, I think because uh, yeah. there's just a level of misery and what hopelessness and tragedy which attracts me. One of the Brontes said about Jane Austen, like, like love is, that's not what love is. She makes out like love is walking through an English garden. Like, that's not what love is. It was a really scathing comment about Jane Austen's version of love. I was a big Bronte fan as well. But then I read, I actually read Pride and Prejudice when I started comedy. And I couldn't believe how funny it was. That right. was the thing I think sometimes the TV adaptations or the films don't don't highlight because she's such a master of, like, you know, witty words. It actually, she's really fucking funny. And Pride and Prejudice, Sense of Sensibility, particularly, uh, Persuasion is not very funny. But um, Pride and Prejudice is really funny. Like, the cat, Mrs. Bennet is a great comedy character. And the way she speaks to people is really funny. And the, the, the all the Bennet sisters, actually, are incredibly you know, funny characters. So I think that sometimes that's what made me fall in love with it. It was just like, I read no, it. No, I might try that again. I mean, I know I have to at some point read it so again. Have you, yeah, when was the last time you read Pride and Prejudice? Oh, when I was about 19 years old oh, I had to write yeah, an yeah. essay. So that, that was, so, the, you know, that, that a bit, I mean, that's probably the least that I ever read books was actually doing yeah. uh, a, a degree because... Uh, yeah, same. I'm I had to read terrible. one sentence. <laughs> I'm able to get away with um, York Notes books and yeah. so uh, did all that. But Jane Eyre, I'd love to, which going back to the Brontes, which is that having now read Wide Sagasso Sea. Oh, I love Wide Sagasso Sea. I wonder if uh, I will be able to. Uh, yeah, in, anyway, enjoy because because I think you kind of he's he's you know he's a difficult character. Yeah. But you kind of go, oh yeah, I mean this guy's had a bad lot. <laughs> and then when you see the take that Wide Sagasso Sea, yeah. I, I thought he was the greatest arsehole, the biggest arsehole, not the greatest, but the biggest arsehole I had ever read until yeah. I read um, well, Ed, Edward Santabau's uh, uh, novels, the Patrick Melrose novels. Oh wow! And my yeah. God, that you know, just Wide Sagasso Sea, going, that guy's the worst. Oh no, <laughs> there he this is. This guy's dad is the worst, the worst human being that I've ever read. Yeah. I, I've not finished those because I thought they were so amazing. I've read the first two, mm. and then I went, no, I want to keep having those available Save so them. i think this summer i'll read the third volume yeah, of that. yeah 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 i feel like those novels will stay with you for like as you get older do you know what i mean you don't need to rush into those novels <laughs> you can take your time with them um yeah i think like there's another there's lots of good um obviously oh what's this other book lot Longbourn. Longbourn is about the servants who are looking after the Bennets. It's another book, like it's almost like right. a sort of spin-off like fan fiction. But yeah, it's really interesting because it's sort of about it's a working class take on that time and that situation and what would happen if a girl was to fall in love with someone and you know and in the background is Darcy and Lizzie and they're sort of being you know nice to the servants but not particularly because they're servants and this girl is falling in love and in trouble and it yeah I, I it's a good it's a good yarn do you know what I mean like it's a good like you want to get to the end but yeah I, I do I do love a spin-off <laughs> can you call White Sagasso see a spin-off that's probably slightly offensive yeah it's hard to work, work out exactly a prequel, how he... that's a prequel yeah. isn't it yeah yeah she's so amazing the uh, uh... I haven't read that for years that one but it, I, yeah. it, it's, uh, I love it because it's it, it it's it's brief and incredibly potent, and that's that's all I need. That's good, isn't uh, it? Yeah, like yellow wallpaper. Yeah, I've, I've, oh, do you know what? I've still never read that. Oh, that is terrifying. That re actually, I think that was one of my first like 
feminist awakenings. My mum gave it to me. I'd forgotten that. And I read it and it's it's so chilling. It's so chilling. It's like... I mean, it's, it's, it's Gilman... Uh, oh, I can't what's remember. We'll yeah. look it up, the yellow wallpaper. Yeah. Um, it's really... I mean, it's pure gaslighting, really. And you sort of realise, you know, that that happened and women were forced to their beds and sent to madness. And I think if you're an opinionated woman or if you're an opinionated woman now or someone who performs, you think, oh, my God, I'd have been locked up 100 years ago for being hysterical. Like, it's terrifying to go, oh, I wouldn't have been allowed to walk around shouting and swearing like I do now. They would have, that would have been first in the queue for being locked up for being too hysterical. Well, because now a lot of people are going to be thinking that we locked Beck up uh, because <laughs> she was hysterical, uh, which you, you can come in. She, do, you want to come, do you want to come and join us, Beck? Or are you... Uh... Brilliant. She's going to get some water. The uh, Have you ever read, by the way, just thinking of, 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 of madness, and because you said gaslighting, which makes mm. me think of gaslight, yeah. uh, have you read any Patrick Hamilton, like Hangover Square, Slaves of Solitude, and he was the author of, of the no, play Gaslight? I don't think so. I've seen the film Gaslight, but yeah, I haven't read any of his stuff. No. Uh, Hangover Square, I'd highly Ooh, recommend that. Yeah, That's yeah. about a man who keeps having these kind of slight, um, these moments where he goes into into a madness where he doesn't remember what he's actually <gasps> done, and it's, it's set in the 1930s Ooh. in the kind of reasonably grubby uh, bedsits of um, Earl's Court, oh. uh, and it's with and his his friends are all rather unpleasant users who, uh, <laughs> as in not users, not drug users. I mean, users of of, of him and anyone else oh. they can. All of whom are uh, rather keen on Adolf Hitler as well, and think he's a rather super fellow. And it's it's a great kind of journey into a, a, a mind of of madness. The one the that just made me think of um I can't remember if it's um Tropic of Cancer or Tropic of Capricorn Henry. Oh, I've never read Hen- any Henry Miller. Oh, I mean, <laughs> that's what I remember being. There's a scene in it. I'm sure this is how, where he wipes his ass with a piece of bread. And I remember thinking, you know what? I've had enough of this. You're yeah. bloody disgusting. <laughs> and I was really like, it's really dis- it's really gross. It's really gross. Hello. Hello, Beck Hill. Hey, it's how lovely to have you here. Well, I'm good. I'm good. I was just, it was, anyway. Now that are you still talking about death, because um, <laughs> no, I've died on. and I'm a ghost now. Yeah, so. the, yeah. uh, we, we, you were announced at the beginning that you uh, the, the terrible heat had created a certain level of poorliness uh, without any further detail Do because I didn't know how much we, you wished us to say. Oh well, but basically I was just I, I, I was just saying I reached the high. I normally walk in, reached the high street, and then just went. Oh, I got a little tickle on my throat. I'll just I'll just cough that. Oh, it's still there. Cough, cough. And then you know when you get in the cycle yeah. of a cough. And it ended up like I couldn't see because I was like crying and heaving. And oh I was like, God. well, I'm just going to walk home because I don't know what this is. I don't know if I've, I was like, probably just got some dust or something on my throat. I but I was like, the... if it's a wasp or yeah, something, no, like, I don't the know. pollution gets so bad when it's so hot. Yeah, I've just never worse. had it before. Yeah, it was so strange. But I genuinely, I was like, I'm going to go home because I don't know if this is like a, oh, I just need some water or I need to go to A&E because it's going to get progressively yeah. worse quite quickly. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, <laughs> I drank that. I was, so I drank some water, ate a banana. Nice. It's still tickly, but it's not. Yeah. if I don't start also, coughing, we should be Also, the wasp will follow the banana down, so that's fine. Yeah. That's right. The, the worst yeah. bit is when you excrete the uh, still <laughs> nice. banana-eating wasp. At that point, it will be... Uh, yeah, oh. a little bit unpleasant, but uh, well done for luring the wasp further away from the throat. <laughs> we can have a grief cast for your duodenum. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying it. to think of a pun to do with ring and sting, but it's... it's... Oh, yeah, please don't turn this into... A, we have to get, hand it over to you as a grief cast going, Beck Hill. Uh, the, um, <laughs> the, you, I was thinking of wasp deaths. I was, I was telling Tom, who's, who's in the, in the, uh, the, the, the desk out there, uh, Kenneth Halliwell's mother 
uh, Kenneth Halliwell, as in the partner of Joe Orton. Uh, she, Not the uh, father uh, of uh, Jerry Halliwell. Uh, what? No, the. Uh, <laughs> I, I think. I mean, maybe there's a link. Maybe, but yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, um, it's tenuous. It'll be a little bit more distant because uh, just not Kenneth's kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and uh, he, but yeah, she was stung by a wasp and died, choked to death. And uh, things never worked out well for him after that. I you mean, some good your collages. When you said that, which makes me think she was kissing it. <laughs> Maybe she was. Well, a lot of people what do, you do drink that. To they that go, wasp? I think I can win this wasp over and it will stop bothering us with just one of my little kisses. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're not going to get consent, then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, wasp, that's true. you're going to die. <laughs> Wasps are very um, pro-consent. We've moved on. We're now on... Uh, well, we just got to the yellow wallpaper and Trent was just looking up that, but he's not really been listening. So I had also just talking about... Who the author of that is. Uh, man he's wiping his arse with a piece of bread. Someone, yes, we've got... Well, we, we've got, <laughs> well, we, we have a choice. We can talk <laughs> about the way that uh, mental illness is dealt with in, in novels by female authors or we can talk about Henry Miller's... No, uh, I don't give Henry Miller arsewipe any, any more air. It was disgusting when I read it all those years ago and I thought, I don't know why this is a Penguin classic. <laughs> well, that's what... I I wonder that those that, that kind of group of of early to mid twentieth century authors are, have they aged very very badly because yeah. you have these kind of cultural revolutions but some of them have now moved on to another level of revolution and uh, oh look it's come up Charlotte Perkins oh was Charlotte Perkins Gilman Charlotte yes. Perkins Gilman yes. you were right yes um, sir. Yeah, I'm that's read amazing that. you should definitely have you read that yellow wallpaper mm. oh it's absolutely and again very very short very light Ooh, it's my right, kind yeah of book. so she's like look, considered to be hysterical and they put her to bed it's Victorian and um, they say, he says see I was listening and um, she's just staring at yellow wallpaper and she's not allowed And but everyone treats her like no no we're doing you kindness you're not very well and she slowly goes mad but then don't let her leave the bedroom ever because it's like she's not well she's a sort of hysterical oh, woman oh so it's like feeding into itself yeah, yeah. And, but everyone does it very nicely of like no I'm her husband's like it's because you're not well so she's like okay I have to stay in bed and she's like I really think I should get up and everyone's like no no you're not well it's ter- it's really horrible but it really makes you understand yeah the it just very simply highlights patriarchy <laughs> yeah, <laughs> think, yeah. of just the power of men at that point and how women were un- unable to defend themselves against it Charlotte well, the- Perkins Gilman the, the the cruelty and have you read White Sagasso see? No. It, it, I think Jean Reese has taken over in the last few months from Kurt Vonnegut as our perpetual. Uh, uh, though actually we didn't ooh. talk about her at all uh, in 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 the last session that we did. But um, yeah, again that way that her oh, yeah. pushed into madness. It's done with such fleeting. It's basically it's a prequel to Jane Eyre. So it's about Mister Rochester, though he's never named as that. Yeah. Hmm. It's about the first wife, the mad woman in the attic. It's about how she went mad, yeah. and and this. And I was saying, I, I've not read Jane Eyre since, and I think it would now be such a different read yeah. because mm. his, his level of cruelty. He's no longer merely someone misunderstood who's been dealt a bad time, bad hand. It it changes everything, uh, but they do it in such the speed that Jean Reese. Because uh, uh, I think she complained to Diana Attill about the fact that um, uh, the when the, she brought the book out too soon, uh, Diana, Diana Attill was her editor, I and I think she found two words that she considered to be extraneous in the text and she was furious <laughs> not Diana Rat till Jean Reese. she was like you let me publish it and there's a comma where there shouldn't be a comma oh and there's God. an exception where I'd rather there wasn't you know wow. so that, that perfection of the small book of the of uh, of, of, of the novel or Hand, almost novella handy for the tube that's what you want 
Yeah. You know what I mean? One that you can carry around. Sometimes you get sent a big, big fat one. You think, oh, I can't carry that on the tube. It's never going to get red. Mm. I'm back. Am I the only person? Well, that's it. I was just in the Oxfam around the corner from here with, with my son. And I was looking at a book and I was going, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get this. It's uh, called Death of Grass by John Christopher. who also wrote, uh, I think we also wrote the Tripods uh, novels and it's a uh, dystopian oh, yeah, uh, book. Yeah. And, and I, I thought, oh, no, I've got a lot of books. And then I went, it's 197 pages. It's under 200. Great. It's, okay. Great. If it had been yeah. 200, that would have been, I'm afraid, yeah. Oxfam. That one ninety nine will not be yours. <laughs> no, it's carryable. It's not going to break your back. It's going to be fine. Yeah, I'm very keen on those books. Beck, do you read much kind of in terms of classic fiction, like the kind of nineteenth century? Uh, no, you know, and... no, I'm, 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 I've brought nothing to this conversation so far. No, I am. Um, Which is I glad it... you're here. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> literally, listening to you gently breathe is more than yes, enough for goodness. us. That makes me very happy. I am. Um, no, I just, I've, I always found it hard. Whenever I tried to read stuff that was um, basically, oh, I just, I've always said this, I'm, I'm such an egotistical person that I, I have trouble imagining a world before I was born. <laughs> and, and so I find it really hard to... But to, you can do the future as you're going to do in your show. I can do the future. Because you're imagining that you have shaped it and yes. somewhere there is a mountain where your face has been chiselled into it and everyone considers you <laughs> to be a god who has come from some very, very distant you know, projection from a supernova. I mean, that's not in the show, that's in my head. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I see that when I watch your stand-up all the time. I think, yeah, in one way, this appears to be a, a take on the work of Edith Piaf, but on another, all I see is a woman going, and one day there'll be a mountain <laughs> <laughs> with my face carved into the whole of the rock. But do you like, so you like science fiction, like future stuff? Yeah. Because yeah. I find, I only like past stuff, really. I find it really hard to imagine future stuff. Like, I, I just, I, thing. Yeah, I, don't, I don't really like science fiction stuff. So you can imagine the world before you knowing that you're going to be there, but you can't imagine the world after you because you don't want to have gone away. I think maybe I find the future more scary. I find like a calmness. Maybe again, it's like an English thing of like having hundreds mm. of history around all the time and it, it being so present in your life and you having to constantly study things from 600 years ago and that's... Well, also, like, yeah. being white Australian, yeah. I don't have that sense of history or past. I wasn't brought up with it. So yeah, yeah. so for me, the, the future is the one you look forward to. Also, I don't like the past because you can't change it and that frustrates me. Uh, yeah, now you found freak. out the laws of physics uh, are against you. Yeah, I well, like the clothes, though. You get to imagine that you're in a like nice big... Corset, Elizabethan you can do bustle. that today. Not, you can not, do that in the future. Fashion is cyclical. Oh, that's true. I want bring back bustles. <laughs> yeah. So what you want is a uh, a sci-fi that's set in the future, but where fashion and everything has come He's back old. around. So it's exactly the no, same, I'm but very, maybe passing yeah. the Bechdel test? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, unfortunately, that's the trouble when... Did you just call it the Beckhill test? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just seeing if, again, the ego, how that's going. No, that's the trouble when you... Because I do... I love any, I love history. I'm really obsessed with history. I love... And I, I have read... I got obsessed when I was a teenager reading classics, literally Penguin classics. I just went through them all. But then... It's not, there's not a lot of women and mm. there's not a lot of, yeah, passing the best test does not happen. So you have a lot of, you're, you know, um, relating to a lot of male protagonists, <laughs> a lot. So, yeah, that's the part, the problem. But then I would say sci-fi is pretty bad for that as well. Oh, yeah. Mom, yeah, they're just everywhere. My mum is obsessed with sci-fi. 
absolutely obsessed. I think that put me off I'm slightly. obsessed with your mum. Yeah. <laughs> and every time I watch a we'll sci-fi... If I, yeah. seems that we Goodbye. should not go any further. Yeah. If I watch a sci-fi film, and I say I, I don't watch very many, so if I'm like, oh, that's good, she's like, oh, they're just, they've just ripped off the 1965... I'm like, did they? I, I didn't have a clue. I thought it was quite good. Like, oh, Interstellar or something. I'm like, oh, that was quite good. No, God, that was a... Doctor Who did that and this, and then they said they just... Yeah, she really... Her knowledge See, the really X-Files always had that for me, which uh, was, I enjoy the X-Files, mm. but everyone, I go, oh, that's from that particular pulp uh, film, and yeah. that's from that particular pulp book, and that's that particular... But, but I, I don't mind that. Yeah, um, and I do across. find that Penguin modern... Cl- like today, when I was on the tube, there was someone, and she and she was holding a Penguin modern classic, and I was immediately, what is it? I can't quite see the spine. <laughs> I'm immediately drawn to them. It turned out yeah, it was just same. Grapes of Wrath, which I imagine she's probably reading for a degree or something like that. I'm but obsessed with anything going, Penguin yeah. classic. I'm like, have I read it? Have I read it? Like, I got obsessed with that sort of ticking off. That's slightly, again, egotistical, slightly like ticking off of British classics that you should have read or, you know, literature classics so that if you're at a dinner party, you can be like, oh, yes, Grapes of Wrath. Yes, yes, it's very good, very good. Not as good as of Mice and Men. Yes, true. I mean, I always feel that Canary Row is often. Do you know what's really good? Travels with Charlie. Have you read that one? No, that's so I've not read good. Canary Row either. Oh, so Travels with Charlie. So is John Steinbeck travelling around California with his poodle called Charlie, and it's just him staying places and talking about the folks that live opposite, and it's like people staying in caravans and planting, and you know, we all like you know just beginning their life in the 1930s. It's delightful. So basically like Louis Theroux's Weird Weekends. Yeah. yeah. but And it's really thin. It's really light. And it's not in that style at all. It's not like Great Sir Rafa. It doesn't have that sort of drama. It's really light and fluffy. And I would say it's really good. Well, thank you very much That's for right. recommending such short books. Generally. Yeah, I'm doing good here. <laughs> this is exactly what I require. We've, we've almost run out of time. So um, you're... What book have you not mentioned that you would... Do you have, for instance, a book that... There's certain books I have where I every time I see a copy of it, I will buy it because I know I'll pass it on to someone. Oh. Uh, is, there, is there any book which... There's one called by... Again, it's another really short book. Oh, dear, I see a theme here. Mm-hmm. Um, by Grand Central Station, I sat down and wept. <gasps> I nearly small. bought a copy yesterday because I saw a version that I didn't have oh. and I realised I have four copies and I'll get one for you back because I've got spares it's at home. It's incredible. It's incredible. I, I When I read it, I, I picked it up like just randomly at a bookshop in Brighton and I'd never heard of it. I didn't know who she was, you know, anything about it. It's there's just a love story of this woman who was really going out with, a, here's a poet. Oh, yeah. My friend bought me his version of it, not as good. Um, but it's about love and it's just perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Um, but the one I've just read, I've just finished, which I feel like is a classic that I should have read, have put off for ages, is Half a Yellow Sun. Have you read that? No. Amanda Ngozi Adichie? <gasps> I can't believe how well I can believe obviously but that but I can't believe I hadn't read it and I can't believe it's not a school text so we're sitting here going oh yeah Jane Austen Bronte's you have to read them at school I am fucking furious that I had to read Silas Marner and I didn't have to read Half a Yellow Sun which is about the Biafran War which I knew nothing about I didn't know how involved Britain was in it how how Nigeria was formed like the what was happening in the 60s it was happening at the same time as Vietnam I was taught everything from about Vietnam and my history GCSE from like the beginning to end. I was taught 100 years of Russian history. I was taught about the Wall Street crash and the Biafran War, the thing that we are pretty much, you know, extremely involved in and hmm, it's colonialism. We're responsible mm. for a lot of it. It's, it's the history of that told through narrative. And I, I mean, I love her work anyway. I'd recommend... Um, Chimamanda, anyway, Americana and Purple Hibiscus are really good, but just if you want to understand colonialism, I think Half Yellow Sun is flawless. 
Oh, I just picked up a book, yeah, about um, the uh, fight for independence in Kenya, oh, which I think is, yeah. yeah. I'll talk about that next time because we've run out of time. But thank you very much. And, yeah, these, the reason for some people might know, uh, as I sat down by Grand Central Station and oh, wept, yes. is uh, it was an influence. It's, it's some of the Morrissey you're still allowed to read because he used it uh, for the song this. Well, I Wonder. So gasping yet somehow still alive, the fierce last stand of all I am. I so the Well, I Wonder song is, is generally Elizabeth Smart's words. Wow. So uh, cheeky Morrissey. Yeah, well, he used to be cheeky, <laughs> he didn't he? But then he made that leap beyond cheeky. <laughs> um, thank you very much for coming back, Hill. I'm glad you're better, and I've already plugged your Edinburgh show, so we don't Aww. need to plug it at the end. Um, <laughs> Carrie, have you got anything coming up that we should know about immediately? Um, Ostentatious is on tour in the UK. It's going to Edinburgh. It's at the Edinburgh Fringe for ten days, and it's on tour in October, November, and then we're back at London's West End at the Fortune Theatre for our Christmas shows as well. And obviously, you can listen to the Griefcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Which which is brilliant. And uh, I'm off on tour, uh, both on my own and with uh, Brian Cox throughout the autumn. So you can just go to CosmicShambles.com and find out those dates. And you can also find out all the other stuff that we're doing, including uh, we're doing some shows, Cosmic Shambles shows in Salford and London this Christmas. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, thank you, Karen. Thank you, Beck. Thank you, me. <laughs> Why have I got a mountain with my thank face in you, it? Thank you, Mr. Ince. I've been there you. and I've seen it. Yeah, it's a mountain of butter and it's <laughs> rancid today. <laughs>Thank you very much for listening. Remember, patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to support the show. You can also support us by coming to any of our events at uh, the Royal Abbey Hall or the Royal Institution or Nine Lessons and Carols or Robin's Tour in November. If you are up in Edinburgh for the Fringe, do go and see Carrier, do go and see Beck, do go and see Josie and lots of our other shambles chums that are up there doing shows like Matt Parker and George Egg and Mark Watson and Sarah Kendall and Stuart Lee and Michael Legg and various others. We will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, have a great week, be good to each other and bye. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.